to start with some scripture from Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One, uh, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is, who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Would you bow your heads with me? this afternoon. Father God, will you remind us that our King Jesus, the Messiah, the awaited one, the expected one, is the reason for us coming together this time of year, for the reason why we give gifts, the reason why we sing songs, the reason why there's jubilee in the air is because you have sent your son to us to reign Lord, will you remind us of that, that you are in charge of all things this day as we read through your scripture and read through the story of uh, Jesus' stepping into human history and stepping into the flesh. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes this time of year, you know, we kind of do the same things over and over. Yes, it's like we get together, we have to plan what we're going to cook, we may even eat the same meals. We may even give the same gifts that we gave last year. We forgot who we gave it to. We re-gift a gift that you give back. Okay, there's lots of things to be expected, but sometimes we get lost in all the clutter of everything, all the hoopla, and everything just begins to seem so common that we forget why we celebrate Christmas. This season on the Christian calendar is known as Advent or coming or arriving somewhere. Well, who's arriving? We celebrate the arrival of our King, Jesus. We forget when we see a manger and a baby that that baby is actually the king of everything, the king of the universe, the creator of all things. And we forget how exalted he is when we hear these nice stories and we just go about everything. So we get lost in the greatness. Uh, we, we lose the greatness of things when everything seems so common. Let me give you an example of what that looks like sometimes in real life. As... Uh, as you know, some of you know that, uh, yes, pastor is my job. I, my name is Evan, by the way, if I haven't met you or if I've met you before and you just forgot. Uh, I have two other jobs, though. Uh, one is doing MC work for weddings. Okay, the other one is recording sound. I have a, a professional like recording business for, for film and video. And I was called to a job once, and they said, uh, hey, uh, we would like you to go to this office uh, next Wednesday. Are you available? Well, yeah, I'm available. Okay, it's only two-hour recording. We just need voice, and you'll be filming with Stanley. And I'm like, Stanley? Okay, some guy named Stanley. I'm going to go to his office in L.A. So I went up to L.A., and I'm there in just a common building, common office. Everything looks pretty normal. And I'm like, hi, I'm here for the recording. They're like, recording? I'm like, 
you're supposed to record Stanley? And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Lee's office is upstairs. I'll show you. I'm like, oh, Mr. Lee. Oh, it's Stan Lee. So Lee is this man's last name. So now I'm looking for some Asian guy, like Mr. Lee is here somewhere. I don't know who Stan Lee is. So I go up to Stan Lee's office, Stan Lee, whatever this guy. So I get in there. I get into the middle of his office, and I'm setting up my gear, and I'm looking around, and it's just wall-to-wall comic books everywhere and little Marvel action figures and posters and, and all of this stuff. This was about 10 years ago, right before like all the Marvel movies were out, like right at the cusp of that. And I'm looking around at all of this, and I'm, you know, it finally dawns on me that this guy is a nerd. <laughs> like, God, this dude is a total dork. Whoever this guy is, like, oh, loser, you know, like, who's the, were you like the biggest comic book collector in the world or something? What the heck? So I'm setting up, and, the, and then an old man comes in. I'm like, oh, and you're an old guy. Okay, so an old comic book collector. I get it now. Okay, maybe this is a Guinness World Record, some sort of thing. I'm just sitting there listening to him, and he's like, hi, yeah, okay, great, yeah. Like, was that okay? I'm like, man, this is, a very, this is a character. This is a weird guy. And everybody around me was like, oh, hello, Mr. Lee. Yes, uh, yeah, oh, um, hey, uh, can, I, can I get a picture with you? I'm like, why are you taking a picture of this old comic book collector? Whatever. I pack up my gear, and I go home. And then I Google it because I'm like, who is this guy, Stanley? Stanley, who is this guy? <laughs> and page after page <laughs> of web results tell me that, oh, this guy actually created Marvel Comics. <laughs> I feel dumb now. <laughs> You're all laughing because you knew the whole time, didn't you? You're like, well, dude, it's Stan Lee's in all the. And then I, three months later, I go to one of the, like, Spider-Man, and he's in it. I'm like, oh, gosh, that's the guy. And then for the next 10 years, it's plagued me seeing his image in every single thing. I'm like, I didn't, I barely shook hands with a guy. I should have talked to him. I could have, had I known, had I known, I would have, oh, can I get a picture with you? Can you sign my arm or something? Something. But it just seemed so normal and common. Other than that, it's just kind of weird. And I didn't know who I was face-to-face with. And I sometimes think that thought about the end of time when we come before Jesus, as the Bible says, as king, who is coming into judgment to see who is a part of my kingdom, who knows me, and who does not. And people, year after year, pass by Christmas trees and garlands and exchange gifts and frequently forget hey, this is actually about a king. It may be low-key, it may be kind of quiet and hush-hush, but this is actually the celebration of an arrival of a king. Do you know that or not? That God has orchestrated all of human history for this moment of a king's arrival. I'd like to read through a passage in Luke chapter 2. We had already heard at the beginning of this sermon uh, this announcement of an angel to a a teenage bride who is a virgin in the middle of nowhere, Nazareth, doesn't know what she's doing, but all of a sudden, this angel appears and says, hey, you're going to conceive without sexual contact. Okay, that's a little different. (laughs) And from your womb is going to be this great king. And now here is the journey of Mary and her birth of our King Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Manger is a feeding trough for animals. The birth of Jesus seems to really fly under the radar, doesn't it? But what we, what, what, one thing I want to point out is that God is in control of all human history. He is sovereign. That means that he is in control of all things. And this text tells us that Jesus literally just stepped into human history as we know it. And we, we, we kind of just are like, well, yeah, okay, that's the Bible. But then there's like other history outside of the Bible. And that's true. But God set the, the stage. They're interwoven, okay? God really set the stage to show and prep the whole world for this king's arrival. Let me show you how. In verse 1, we see... In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this, this is the only time that Caesar Augustus is mentioned. But I want to take a few minutes to just expound on what that meant. Okay, Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the entire Roman Empire. Do we have the slides? Caesar Augustus, okay, is the emperor. This is the setting of Jesus being born. And now, who here likes history? Five of you. Great. Who here dislikes history? Two of you. Okay, that's better. Okay, the, the kids, when I preached earlier, they, they hated it. They're like, can we do like math or something? I'm like, that's what the book of Numbers is. We'll preach that next week. <sighs> little, a little bit of history and background to the Roman Empire and what was going on. Caesar Augustus sort of clawed his way into power. He's the son of Julius Caesar, if you remember. Uh, we have the months July after Julius and August, August after Augustus. Okay, that is how big they were that they just named a whole month after whoever the king was. He killed or uh, had overruled his uh, father's killers, Cassius and Brutus. You guys remember this now? Oh, Cassius. Okay, you're starting to remember this, starting to jog your memory from high school. Uh, and he also overthrew Mark Anthony. No, not the singer, but <laughs> Cleopatra, Mark Anthony, okay? This man came into power, and all of Rome was to submit everything to him. In fact, there were many different titles that they gave him. And here is what this king looked like in this world at this time that Jesus was being prepped to come into the world. Next slide. Okay, Caesar Augustus was known as the Herald of Peace. This was throughout the whole culture of the Roman Empire. It was called Pax, uh, Pax Romana or uh, Pax Augusti. He was known, this was a temple that was uh, erected, a little uh, shrine that was erected in honor of the peace that this king brought. He was known as like, wow, he is the bringer of all world peace. Now, of course, this sort of peace in the Roman Empire was by force. So what would happen is your, your country was taken over by Rome, and they were like, hey, we want to be cool with you, okay? If you give us a lot of trouble, we come and kill you. Fair enough? And they're like, well, okay, <laughs> right? It's like putting a gun out, like, do you want peace or, mm, yeah, peace? You're good, cool. That is how it would work. But so uh, Augustus was known as a herald of peace. Keep going. You'll see where I'm going with this in a moment. He was also called the chief of all priests. 
He was known as the chief of all priests of all religions, right? They're like, oh, if he is like really up there in the bringer of peace, the idea was when you go to worship at a church or a synagogue or a mosque or whatever it was that you believed in, that you pay tribute to Caesar Augustus. Why? Because he is the one that will make intercession for us. He is the one that will cleanse us of our morality. He is the great one. So they would put statues of Augustus looking like this in lots of robes. Uh, to be that chief priest. This is what the world looked to at that time. On the coins that were being circulated, they believed that uh, Julius Caesar, his father, was a god. They said, no, if you're emperor and you unite this entire world, you must be god, Julius Caesar. And he's like, mm, all right, I'm down for that, <laughs> right? So what does that make his son? The son of God. Yes, is it starting to sound eerily familiar to us? For those of us who have been Christians a little while and read our Bible, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This, is, mm, this almost seems backwards, right? This was actual, like happened in history. And on all of the coins, you'd see this divi filius, which means son of God, as a reminder to everyone who is trading coin that uh, like, oh yeah, my emperor, my king is actually the son of God. That's crazy. This was on a, uh, an erected statue uh, just, to, just to testify to that again, this is uh, in Rome. Emperor, they called him king, emperor, son of the deified, chief priest. All of that is written in uh, Koine Greek there. Now, they also created and put uh, together temples to Caesar. And on some of the inscriptions of that, he was also described as soter in Greek, which would be the savior. So here we have this emperor, this king, who was the chief of all priests, who would bring peace to all, who was a savior to the world, and a son of God. Very ironic, isn't it? Very ironic that God sets the stage for this, that this is going on in the minds of the people of the time, that Mary gets this announcement that actually, in your womb right now, oh, you, Mary, teenage girl who doesn't know anything in the middle of nowhere, I'm actually orchestrating something else. That the true son of God, the true savior, the true prince of peace is coming into this world through something so common. Not with great military might, not with great pomp, not with great pride and prowess, but instead in humility. But yet uses this government system, this one who thinks that he's in charge of everything to orchestrate that to happen. You see, for a long time, the people of Israel, the Jews, had already believed that God is going to send some sort of savior, some sort of Messiah. And there were countless prophecies of exactly how that was going to happen and what this king, this awaited king, would look like. And over and over again, all these different kings, much like Augustus, would rise to power and say, Psh, the Babylonian Empire, this is it, this is it, and it crumbled. Oh, the Assyrian Empire, this is it, the Egyptian Empire. There are countless things through history. If you were to crack a history book that you would find over and over and over are these different kings and kingships, but they would all eventually crumble. They would rise to power and crumble, but God sets the stage just perfectly for the arrival of this king. Now, through Israel's history, through this Old Testament, there were many prophecies that were given through many different prophets, different people through different times who would say specific things. These prophets would arise in the midst of people's hopelessness and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know he's not here yet, but God is still sending a king. How can you say that? We're slaves now. Just trust me. He's coming. He's coming. Just trust me. 
How can you say that they just ransacked our city? Just trust me. How could you think just pillaged our people are all gone? Just trust me. He's coming. He will keep his word. And there are certain things to look out for. What were some of these prophecies? Well, for example, Isaiah, just before his people were ransacked and taken away to another country and the temple was desecrated, he says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This happened hundreds of years before the Roman Empire. This happened hundreds of years before Mary. This was something to look out for. How do you think people took that, by the way? Hey, by the way, you're, you're going you're gonna to conceive without any, doing anything. You're just going to be pregnant. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> Sit down, Isaiah. <laughs> was, it, was it maybe like a poetic sort of? No. This was coming. It was coming. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That's a mind bender. But, oh, Bethlehem. This was Micah speaking. So these different prophets were saying, look, a king is coming. Here are certain things to look out for. And this was the expectation of the Jewish people. Even though there were all these governmental things happening, even though circumstances seemed tough, that God will keep his word. You see, God has the master plan. He is sovereign. He is king over all things. And it may not have seemed like it. Because, gee, I, I don't know about you, but I think I would choose the king with all the power and all the might and the military stuff, the best possible thing that you can have. But God says, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way. You see, over and over, governments will rise, societies would rise, and they'd say, it's about this, it's about that, and they would all crumble. And finally, it came to Mary where God says, my turn. I will send a true king. And through this sort of government shakeup where the emperor at his height says, you know what, I'm going to declare a census. You know what he's doing in that, by the way? He's saying, I want to see how powerful we really are. I want to know how many people will fight for this nation, and I want to know how many taxes I could collect on. Circumstances seem very bad for Israel. Circumstances sometimes seem bad for us. But God was still in charge and had a plan. It's hard to see when you're in the trenches, but it's easy to see from up above. And God came and enlightened Mary's mind a little bit. Now, this was still no easy task to deliver a king. One, she lived, she was virgin. We got that cleared up. But two, she lived in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. That's about, here, let me show you, actually. Can we show you the next uh, slide? Yeah, that's, this is Google Earth. It's not me on a plane. That's a really long line that they built there. Just kidding, I did that. So Nazareth is on the left. It's kind of hard to see, but that's the, the little dot. Okay, you see that? We all, yeah, you see it? Hard to see. Okay, and then on the very right is, is you'll see Jerusalem maybe, and then right after that is, is Bethlehem. Now, what's in between that? What are all those like jaggedy things? Yeah, pixelated images. That's right. Low resolution from my computer. No, those are mountains. This is a, quite a journey that Mary had to take. Uh, can you show the next slide? I'll show you exactly with Google Maps. Okay, here we go. They had to take this journey from Nazareth up there in the north. That's the Sea of Galilee, kind of off to the right. Now, if I were to take today 
that walk that Mary and Joseph had to take, we don't know if she had a donkey, by the way. There's nowhere that says that. We hope that she did because she's pregnant. Pregnant lady with her not-yet-husband traveling alone, supposedly, through all of Israel, and it's about a 97.5-mile walk. I don't know if you're counting calories, but that, that's a lot of calories. The route that I chose there, it says it's a 33-hour walk, and that's on a paved, nice road, okay? Maybe you would have chosen the ones on the left, and you'll get a coastal view. I don't know, but this was the shortest route, okay, 97. That's not necessarily the route they took. I'm just showing you the length and distance that they had to walk and go all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Why did they need to go to Bethlehem? Because to register, you had to go to where your ancestors were from. Okay, you had to go back to basically your hometown. So Joseph, being of the line of David, which was prophesied, was then summoned because of a government decree that they were like, oh, what is this? Why is the government coming in and messing with us? But yet it was all part of God's orchestration to make sure that the king was and stated where he needed to be down in Bethlehem. On the left, that's also just indicating the hills and things like that. They had to climb up and down. All of this to bring about a king, a true king, not a fake one, not one that declares himself a son of God, but is declared the son of God, who is a true king. Again, this was prophesied about over thousands of years that has had been in the making. It was, it was, on God, it was uh, orchestrated all by God, and I'll show you some scripture to back up what God was doing at this time that Jesus was born. Here's some things about Jesus that we may miss just because we're thinking of baby Jesus during the Christmas season. Jeremiah 23.5. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now, this was Jeremiah again around those times where it was bad, okay, Israel had no king, they were broken and destitute, and yet in the midst of this, this prophet's like, okay, there is a future time there is coming where a king is coming, a true king. Now, we have a problem as Americans with kings. Just go back about 250 years, <laughs> how did this nation in the United States start? In rebellion to a king. We don't really like kings. We barely like presidents. <laughs> We don't like people over us in power. We have a hard time understanding what a true king looks like. The last king that we had in this land taxed our tea. You'd be pretty mad if that happened. I don't drink tea. Do you go for boba? Drink tea. Okay? It's hard for us to recognize and understand what a true ruler really looks like. One who actually is just and knows what is fair. Who will reign wisely. We haven't had that in a long time. <laughs> it's hard to really know what that looks like. But scripture declares that. And as we read through the rest of Luke's gospel. Matthew and Mark and John. That truly Jesus is king. In and above Caesar Augustus or any other king. Who declares himself king through force. The Old Testament also says in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, for, unto, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we see that Jesus is actually the true prince of peace. Again, these are different titles that were attributed to different kings, including Caesar Augustus, which was the setting of when Jesus was born. That truly Jesus was the one that was prophesied about, the king that was awaited for by the Jews. That he is the one that will usher in an age of peace and a kingdom of true peace, not by military might and force, not by coercion, but by his character alone. Psalm 110 says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. An even older reference, but we see that Jesus is truly the priest, the high priest, the one that makes intercession, the one that takes away our moral failings. He is the only true priest. This was prophesied about many years ago, and, and even here in First Chronicles, this was after uh, the return from Babylon for the people of Israel. I will be his father, and he will be my son, talking about the coming king. I will never take away my love from him as I took it away from your predecessor, Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. This king is not only king and will rule forever and set up and establish his kingdom forever, but he is also the son of God. These are all titles that were given to this false king at the time and titles that people have given to themselves over the generations. But we see consistently through thousands of years of history that it all boiled down to this one point. That through some sort of government shift that God was orchestrating that Jesus would be born and fulfill all of these expectations. In essence, Jesus was truly bringing a new era and a new kingdom of peace. But just how was he able to do this? Isaiah 53, again, Old Testament also foretold this. Because while they waited, and they're like, okay, there's a king going to come, and he's going to rule, and there'll be peace, and it'll be awesome, and I won't have to feel bad about, you know, what am I doing, God? I need help. What is all this? How does this ruler come in? It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This must have been a very strange thing for people to hear because now suddenly they're hearing, wait a minute, our king is going to come in and lose? He's going to somehow spill blood? I thought he was going to come in and spill the blood of everyone else. But instead, this king would come and establish peace by taking on everything onto himself. This is exactly what Jesus fulfilled by going to the cross. And by doing this, he sets up his new kingdom. Check this out in Colossians chapter 1. I'm almost done with all these Bible verses. I see the eyes glazing over. I'm almost done, I promise you. Colossians 1 uh, says this. Paul writes and says, He, God, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son who he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus, the gospel, I'm going to be a little bold and proclaim a little something to you to say that we may slightly sometimes be a little off when we present the gospel. 
Did Jesus die for our sins? Yes. Did he resurrect? Of course. In other words, did he come back to life? Yes, absolutely. But the true gospel that Jesus proclaimed was that the kingdom of God is at hand and that I am the king. I am the ruler. That is the true gospel. Jesus didn't come and start his ministry by saying, everyone, come here. I'm going to die. Like nobody would ever like, okay, well, that's crazy. Is that true? Yes. And did he do that later? Absolutely. And did even John the Baptist say, hey, behold, this is the, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world? Yes, absolutely. But before that, John said what? Repent and turn to God for the kingdom of God is near. There is a coming king. That is what history was saying. Your salvation is a little separate. It is involved in it, but it's a, it's a different thing. When we share the gospel, we typically say what? That, hey, did you know that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins? Yeah, that's awesome. But what we miss sometimes saying is, did you know that Jesus is actually Lord of all things? Next slide. Okay. This is a moment from, correct me if I'm wrong, is it Endgame or is it Infinity Wars? Sorry. Gosh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, Mr. Lee, I'm sorry. He's turning over in his grave right now. This is from Infinity Wars. You probably know the exact frame that that happened, didn't you, Justin? <laughs> what master do I serve? So this is uh, Star-Lord. Okay, this is Star-Lord responding to Doctor Strange. Does anybody remember what Doctor Strange had said? Okay, Beatrice, what did he say? You can't recite any of these Bible things, but you can tell me what <laughs> Infinity War says. Okay. Set it up. Tell us what did Doctor Strange say to Star Lord? Thank you, Nyan. I appreciate it. He's holding him hostage. They're having a fight. They don't know who's and and Doctor Strange stops and he's like he's like Who are you? Where are you from? What master do you serve? And this is Star Lord. He's like What master do I serve? Am I supposed to say Jesus? And it's kind of funny because it's true <laughs> because Chris Pratt is a Christian also. Next slide. The reason why I show you that is because it's a relevant question. What master do you serve? Here's why it's relevant. In your generation, in our generation, and some of you are a little younger than me, your generation too. Some of you are older, maybe your generation too. The big theological question that we're in is not, you know, did Jesus come and die? No. We believe that. That's historical fact. The question is, why does it matter? Why does all this matter? I'll give you an example. I, I actually happened to share the gospel with uh, a DJ. Okay, remember, I have two other jobs. Okay, one of them is weddings for, you know, I, I MC for weddings. And I was, I was doing a wedding and a, a good hour of it while they're greeting tables. I'm sitting there eating and talking with the DJ. And, and by the way, if you ever need a really good DJ, let me know. I know a lot of club DJs in downtown LA. <laughs> um, but I get to share the gospel with them too. I get to hear their story and I listen for a good 45, 50 minutes. And uh, this one guy in particular who I'm, 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 you know, I'm fond of, I'm like, hey, I like this guy, you know, he's cool. And, and we were talking and the opportunity to present the gospel came up. And I'm like, well, what do you know about Jesus? He's like, well, I mean, I don't really look into religion much or anything. And I shared, I'm like, well, you know, here's, here's the thing. And Jesus is awesome. And he came and he died and he rose again. Isn't that crazy? And then, you know, like, here's, here's you know, like, now you can have a new life and you could rise again at the end. You know, yeah. And I did all that, and you know, he, you know, he looked at me, he's like, wow, he's like, that's actually a really cool story. He's like, I, I hadn't heard that before, and I think that's really awesome. And then he said the saddest thing to me in our whole conversation. He's like, I guess 
I guess for me, I just don't really see how it's relevant in my day-to-day life. And I didn't know what to say at the moment. I'm like, it's not relevant. But he, he rose like, like, you rise every morning. I mean, that's crazy. I didn't know what to say. This is the big theological question of our day. You, you see, you could share the scripture. You could share this whole PowerPoint. You could share all of history with people. But I've realized that, man, people don't really see how it is practical in your day-to-day life. And here's, let me give you a little clue to why it is. Because if Jesus is king, that does change everything. How to get to him, how to get before God is to believe that he died and rose again. Of course, we know that as Christians. But before that, who is this guy, Jesus? Who is your king? Why does that matter? This king is not a king that just comes by force and just rips apart everybody and and intimidates everyone. No, absolutely not. This is a king who, uh, Philippians 2 says, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a king who is sacrificial. This is a king who is humble. This is a king who will stoop down before you can even bow before him. He will stoop down and wash your feet. And the king dictates the kingdom. In a similar way, I'll give you another example. Does a good coach really change a team? Absolutely. If you have a good pilot and you're on a plane... It's going to be a much smoother ride than kind of, you know, a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing. If you have a good teacher or mentor, that sort of changes the atmosphere of a classroom. And in the same way, a king will dictate a kingdom, one who comes in power and pomp and pride. Of course, you pay respect, but there's no relation. Jesus, the true king that had been prophesied all this time through all of history, was born in a manger. It's a feeding trough. It's common, it's uncommon for a baby to be born into that, but it's a common sight just seeing it around. And we as Christians sometimes forget that, yeah, in the jubilee of Christmas and remembering baby Jesus, that he's actually a king that God had orchestrated all of history to be born at such a time. So if Jesus is truly the king, then that does change your day-to-day life. It changes what you view about what is coming as well that he is coming again, that my king will come again, that I will rise again as he's risen again. Even little things like this, I was in the, in the bathroom uh, washing my hands last two weeks ago, and I noticed paper towels just scattered about all over. I'm like, oh man, this, what happened? Like, did somebody just, I just pictured somebody just coming in and like washing their face and blowing their nose and just throwing it everywhere. I'm like, what the heck happened? And I realized that uh, somebody had put the uh, trash can right under the air dryer, like, little hand thing, and so they're like taking, they're wiping their hands, I guess other people are activating the air dryer, and then what do you think is happening to all the paper, (laughs) right, it's just like snowing paper everywhere, and I'm in there like, oh, this nasty, okay, and that's dumb, you know, and so I at least moved it out of the way, like, okay, problem solved, good job, efficiency, German, good job, (laughs) this is inefficient, you know, okay. Part of me was like, who's going to clean this? And I thought, you know, we have admin people. Somebody else can do this. You know, can't somebody else do it? You know, it was like the Homer Simpson in me that was like, 
I don't want to do this. This is nasty. And I was, I was just going to ignore it and say, you know, if that's how we want our bathroom, fine. Y'all can have your bathroom like that. But as I was leaving, I just got this feeling in the back of my, just my skull and in my whole body. I was like, I, I can't let, I just can't, I, I can't let this go. It's not because I'm OCD. Really, I don't want to touch other people's germs. It's nasty. But then again, I guess I wipe butts all day. I have three kids. But still, like, I'm like, this is other people's germs. Who knows what it is? But then I remembered, wait a minute. I'm part of a kingdom, and my king stooped down to wash his followers' feet. My king went to the cross for me. My king sacrificed for me. My king wins battles for me, even battles over death. So what does that mean for me as being a part of a kingdom? If my king did it, then shoot, of course I'm going to do it. I went and I got an admin person. No, no, I'm just kidding. I did it myself. I did it myself. I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm not saying this to be like, what a good deed I did or anything like that. But just to give you an example of what it means to have a king in place. And when you know who that king is personally, and when you know the character of the king, it will dictate what the kingdom looks like. Because the kingdom of God is here and now. It is currently invisible at times. It is visible but we can guarantee that our king is coming again. Just really quickly, just to wrap this up, if you could show the next uh, slide. Jesus as king means that there is a kingdom unlike any other. Okay, some people get so wrapped up with what is going on in the world. They're like, oh, did you read the news about, about Trump? Did you read the news about the Democrats? Did you read the news about China? Did you read the news about the world, you know, and climate change? It's like every little thing is like a big thing. And while those are important issues in our day-to-day life, we have to stand back and remember that, hey, I'm a part of a kingdom. If you acknowledge this king and you're like, no, you know what? I believe that Jesus is king and that there is a kingdom come and that I am a part of it even now. If you believe all of these things, it should take us out of that realm of just drudgery and, and, and negativity and to remember that, like, no, you know what? I'm a part of a kingdom that's, like, unlike any other. You have a king, and that means that there is a kingdom that you are invited to partake in. Secondly, with Jesus as king, it means that there is a people who inhabit a kingdom, okay? You cannot have, unless you follow, like, the Johnny Cash lyrics for Hurt, where he says, my, my, you can have it all, my empire of dirt, which means that, you know, like, I have nothing. Like, my backyard, which is undeveloped currently, my empire of dirt. No, a king means that there must be somebody that he's ruling over, and that is you and I, that we are under the rule of a king who protects us, the king who provides for us, the king that will orchestrate things according to his kingdom and purposes. You don't have to worry. It doesn't mean that it will always be easy, as we can see with Mary. I got to walk 97 miles while pregnant. It's like asking Kim, like, by the way, Kim, I know you're delivering soon. Can, uh, you know, you think you could walk to, like, San Francisco or something? No! It'd be crazy. It's not always easy. But we trust that our king has a bigger plan and that I am a part of a kingdom and that those around me are a part of this kingdom as well. Thirdly, it means that there is a future and a hope even in the present age. No matter what happens, we remember that, man, Jesus Jesus is in charge of all of history. I've already seen that demonstrated all through time, all through the Old Testament, that he came and arrived on this earth. And we are reminded during this time of Christmas that, hey, there is a bigger picture and that there is a kingdom that is coming. That Jesus came the first time for our salvation. This is a king who won over death. 
and the second time he will come in judgment. Scary. Last slide. The king makes the kingdom, and he is calling a census of his own. Currently, Jesus is calling a census of his own. But it's not just a census to see, like, okay, how much power do I have? How much money can I make? No. This is to see who is a part of my kingdom and who is not. And at the end of time, we will all stand before him and say, okay, you're a part of my kingdom, and this is not. This is a message to also bring out to the rest of the world. To share that, do you know that there is a king? That he's come, and that he is coming again, and that you can have this relationship with this king. And to describe what kind of king this is, because the kind of king that you have will dictate what kind of person you are and the choices that you make. Which kingdom are you a part of? Let's bow our heads. And we stand in awe of what you've done.